Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Scroll. And we're back with the third of our three-part series, um, which is uh, uh, three parts that I kind of uh, connected from three of your tweets. Um, and I finally so... figured it out. I think I know why they're connected now. You, you finally got me clear on it. Okay, great. Um, so it was reminded to our listeners, uh, two weeks ago, we, we covered part one, which was um, the, the observation that designers uh, often find it difficult to uh, adopt daily delivery and, and more difficult than uh, developers. And the question a bit was, well, why was that? Um, and one of that, the reasons we said behind that, and this is just a short version, not going to replace the whole podcast, is um, about kind of what the norms were within the group. And so then last time we talked about uh, the norms that lead to people um, turning the same cranks all the time. Um, and we said this time we would talk about how as a leader or want to be leader who wants to move people to a different way, um, how you can do that. And this is a third tweet from you, Squirrel, that uh, was part of my inspiration uh, suggesting these. Uh, and that was when you talked about how consciously violating norms is often a route to productive conflict, although you threw in there parenthetically painful route to productive conflict, reshaping norms and more effective results. So tell me a little bit more. What do you have in mind here with consciously violating norms? Well, it's the sort of thing that people hire me to do. So when uh, I come in as a consultant, um, I, I warn people that I'm a bit of a tornado, that they should expect things to be upturned and people to be upset and some people to quit and other things. So I'm, I'm not a um, friendly, happy person who helps everybody feel better. I bring productive conflict and it can be painful. Um, and one of the ways I do that is I identify what the, the current norm is and uh, tell everybody, uh, hey, it's, it's time to do something completely different. And it's often very helpful to do something that's exactly the opposite of what the norm is. So um, to take a, a random example, and uh, I'm, I'm not violating any confidentiality here because every one of my clients will recognize this. Uh, a, a recent one, uh, the, the, the norm was a very academic approach to um, uh, solving problems, to building software and um, uh, working on uh, new versions of, of the product. Uh, very academic, write papers, um, make sure that everything works perfectly, dot every I, cross every T, um, get, getting things uh, sort of morally or, or uh, um, uh, ideally right, rather than um, uh, messily in the hands of customers, imperfect, um, learning quickly. And the frustration for everyone else in the business was we've been waiting years to get results and this is glacially slow. Uh, so uh, taking a leaf from your book, Jeffrey, actually, because I know you do this uh, quite a lot, <laughs> I said, what, what, what's stopping us releasing um, version two tomorrow? And, and after everyone picked themselves up off the floor, they said, well, obviously, Squirrel, there's these things. There's this one and there's this one and there's that one. And I said, just say those a little more slowly. And we went through each one and we, we dealt with each one. And it turned out that there actually was almost nothing stopping them from going live tomorrow. And the thing that I was able to help them to do, they didn't go live tomorrow. Um, but uh, within a very, very short span of days, we were able to uh, take some of the uh, long, long held assumptions, which turned out to be things in the development team like everyone wants us to get it right. If we make any errors, we'll be in trouble. Uh, you can see exactly how this norm would then reinforce the <laughs> academic approach. Well, you better get it right. We're, we're going to be in trouble. Let's be super cautious. Uh, let's analyze it to death before we do it. Uh, the, the, by violating this norm and saying, uh, we're, we're going to release this tomorrow, what will go wrong? I was able very rapidly and, and with a lot of conflict 
to, to identify what the actual barriers were. And it turned out many of them didn't matter. For example, the customer service people were over the moon with the idea that we might release a feature that didn't work perfectly, and they would have to do some manual work to fix errors and problems and, and explain it to customers. They said, that's wonderful. Please give it to us. We're, we're ready for that. And the developers <laughs> were shocked at this response. What do you mean? They, they hate it when we make mistakes. Well, the difference was here that the, they were being warned and they were getting a tremendous benefit. They were getting new things they hadn't had and been waiting for forever. They said, look, as long as it's not the whole system is down for weeks. And they said, no, there's a very low risk of that. We, we, we can handle anything. Throw it at us. We're ready to, to you know, stay here for hours and, and type things in manually and do other workarounds if it means that we can resolve these terrible issues that have been plaguing us for years. And uh, I'm happy to report that that customer is now live with the, the, the new changes and, and very proud of it. And, and it has had a, a very salutary effect. And that, that's what led to this tweet, among others, is this observation that if you look at what's holding the organization in place and um, consciously kick the supports out, you will produce total chaos for a short time. And from that chaos, if it's done productively, you will get a, a lot of learning very quickly about whether the, the, the things that are holding the organization stuck are valid or not. And most frequently, they're not. I, two, two thoughts come to mind in hearing that. And one is something that you, you can't be better without being different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that's that's one thing. And and the second thing is not something quite so pithy, but rather an observation it, 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 that I'm I'm. I'm sure that what some people hearing this, it, the, the uh, uh, negativity bias will make people think is like, oh, that sounds crazy. That sounds like it's got a recipe for disaster. Like there are things we know we can't do and we can't just ignore that. And and I, I think when you come in here, people might have this picture of total cowboy. You're, I don't think that you're throwing away information that you definitely know. I, I imagine this process, what you're doing is testing, which of these things do we know and actually have the data to back it up. And which of these things are just stories that we told each other? These are different levels of knowing. <laughs> is, is, is that how, Does that happen? Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's also another level, which is there are things that we think we know in one way, and it turns out that they're, they are true, but there are lots of other factors which change them. So um, this notion about errors being bad was correct for this organization um, without giving too much away about them. They, they provide a service for customers for a one-time event that um, w- will not come again. And so if you mess it up, it's not like you can go and do it over again. So um, the, this, the, there's high stakes for uh, customers who uh, receive the service from this um, from this company, uh, and and so if, if you mess up the the um, the one-time event that those um, customers are planning, they they will be very angry with you, and and that was the sort of message that the developers had gotten. Hey, you caused our customers to miss this this one thing that they can never do again, and um, they're furious and they're never going to work with us again. You stink. And the developers <laughs> generalized that and said, ah, what we need to do is avoid all types of error because they're all catastrophic. And it turned out that there was much more nuance to that. The customer service people said, well, look, if we know these things might happen, we can mitigate them. We can go and look and say, oh, yes, your activity, your your um, thing that's coming up that's a one-time event is in two weeks. Let's go look to see if everything's, oh, yeah, there's this kind of bug we know about. We'll do a manual workaround to fix that. That was fine. So that was a, um, a, a step that the customer service people were perfectly happy to accept. 
but the developers had not validated their generalization. They had just heard errors are catastrophic. Our customers need everything to work perfectly for their one-time activities. So uh, never make a mistake. And, and that lesson was incorrectly learned. I think what's great about that is you have this example where there was the opportunity for this workaround, this alternative path that was outside of the hands of the developers. And, and that maybe that was part of the issue, which is they were discussing the story amongst themselves. And it was when you had them talking with other people, this sort of cross-silo communication, you know, attesting the assumption. They could say, oh, no, we have these ways to work around it. And I find that all the time when we get people talking together, all this kind of nuance comes out, alternatives come out that when people are left to themselves, they're making they're, they're making assumptions about what other people want. We, we get them talking to each other. There's often a lot more degrees of freedom. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about this story. But backing up a bit here, because what we're, we're talking about is deliberately violating, norm, violating norms as, as a leader. Um, one thing I think when people hear your description, they're like, oh, well, Squirrel, that here's my, my uh, straw man objection. That's great for you, Squirrel, because you're this high-priced consultant. You're being brought in with explicit mission to make these things better. I could never do that because I'm not the executive or I'm not the consultant. I'm just a member of the team. You know, how could I uh, possibly uh, uh, apply this advice in, in violating norms? Um, I don't accept that because I have experience doing it with, where I'm not the executive and not the person being brought in. But I'm curious, you know, do you have an initial response? Oh, I certainly do. So I was, I was, I was coaching someone on this this morning. Um, her, her, in her situation, she's just come into a company. She's still on probation. So um, she's kind of interested in keeping her job. And uh, I was advising her to, to really violate a norm, to, to do something in a way the company just never did it before. In, in her case, it was um, uh, uh, make people uncomfortable, something I really like to do uh, because it helps get to productive conflict and, and, and gets to a, a faster resolution usually. And I was saying, yeah, so make them uncomfortable. Tell them that this may be worse uh, for a short time, but that they will learn and that then uh, life will be better. And she said, that's not how we do things here. Uh, I've, I've only been here a few weeks, but uh, this is a company that wants to make sure that everyone's included and everyone's happy and that uh, we're all one big uh, happy family all together. And I said, that's not going to, uh, that's not what you have come in to do. You haven't come in, uh, they haven't hired you to, to, to make that happen. Uh, they, they've hired you to make these improvements in the team. And uh, my recommendation to you is uh, mitigate wherever you need to, uh, to, to protect yourself and feel comfortable. But um, if, if the, you're so constrained by the norms of the company that you can't take any um, uh, uh, radical step, you can't change anything, then, then why are you there in the first place? So uh, my, I, was, I was pushing quite hard. I, I don't know what she's going to do. I'm going to find out. Um, but uh, her, uh, what I, I hope she'll do is she will uh, look for uh, opportunities to uh, uh, shift the norms and maybe just change her own behavior and be an exemplar for others and um, uh, allow the rest of the organization to see that there are other alternatives. This is really challenging. I'm not suggesting this is easy at all, but uh, the benefits are huge if you can find a way to do it that feels safe for you, but that does show that um, the norms of the organization are not the only possible norms. Well, and I do think uh, there's two specific bits of advice I think we can offer to people who find themselves in that situation it, it, tactically about how you go about this. Now, now one is we actually uh, referred to that we had this episode a few weeks ago, which was how will the company decide, uh, which is 
you know, uh, um, we're, we're I'm going to be proposing something here. It's different than what we've done. There's going to be trade-offs. How will the company decide which to do? So that episode in part, I think some of that advice is applicable. And I think especially if we combine it with the second part here, which is what, there's norms and there's norms. Like there's the normal behavior people have, but there's also kind of the espoused norms that the organization has as a whole. And these things are often not totally aligned. So companies might say, for example, oh, we're agile, or we want to be customer focused, or, you know, we care about, you know, this or that aspect. And and those things that they that the company says they want are are, are often, in a sense, in conflict with the established, you know, norms in use among the developers. And so one element when you go about violating norms, one thing that I personally apply and I recommend to people when in my coaching is to look for these mismatches and and to be able to to talk about both of them and even to hold both of the norms as good you know you can say look well yeah we do want people to be happy that's really important we also say we want to be high performing um, is there a conflict there you know I think there's the happiness that comes from being comfortable and familiar and there's the happiness that comes from being better and being effective and it, and those two things might be intention um, you know, I, 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 I'd like us to try to do something where we work on being more effective. And I think that would be happy for me. And I think others would be happy with that also, but it might also be uncomfortable. You know, how, how do we, how do we go about deciding what level of discomfort we want for what level of improvement? That's a, that's that way of sort of, you know, comparing norms. And it, this could have been many different things. It could have said, I thought we're supposed to be more customer focused. Isn't that one of our, uh, one of our values or, you know, I thought we, we value end state thinking. Shouldn't we have a more of a vision in mind of where we want to go here and, and be able to bring in these points of contrast? Because very often it's, it's, the question is about trade-off between these different items where they're both good things. Um, it's just that in this moment, uh, how do we want to shift uh, uh, the trade-off between these different elements? And I, I find that that uh, kind of uh, way makes the conversation more productive as opposed to saying, gosh, what we're doing is bad. <laughs> I have a good thing to do instead of this bad thing we've been doing <laughs> that, that I find to be less effective. Absolutely. So, so my, I, this is advice I didn't give my client, but maybe I should, she could look for ways to, uh, uh, help to promote uh, uh, greater happiness and satisfaction through better delivery rather than simple satisfaction of, yes, I've, I've managed to do the same thing today that I did yesterday. That's a good thought. I will consider that for her when I see her next. And I do think this is one of the big elements of, of leadership, which is the kind of storytelling of, you know, what are the, what are the things we value? And so I think in this example here, this kind of topic, the, the leaders are the ones who are saying, not just these are the norms, but why we have these norms. And that kind of uh, building alignment, this sort of shared vision of why these trade-offs are ones that we would value. So anyway, that's this is I think where we where I had in mind with our sort of three-part series. You know, so to walk people through, you, we started with the uh, designers who were uncomfortable going to daily delivery, um, and but you know, guess what? Uncom discomfort is often part of what happens when you move to uh, uh, when you want to get higher performance which got into our, our second part, which is about moving away from turning the same old cranks, uh, wanting to, to get to be better. And the question was, how do you go about building that? And it's, that was our topic today. How do you go ahead and, and start violating norms and discussing violations of norms to ho hopefully start shifting norms in a, in a different way? Um, that's been our advice. 
Uh, as, what do you think, Squirrel? I think you get some great topic for us, even this was a, a thread that you hadn't imagined. And you did these tweets at different times, so it wasn't like you did them all at once. Exactly. So thank you for for bringing them together in a a nice way. I hope that's been helpful to our listeners. Uh, If you are trying to violate norms or if you think violating norms would be a terrible idea, either one, we'd love to hear from you and uh, get your opinion and uh, argue and discuss and have productive conflict. You can do that at agileconversations.com where you'll find our Twitter feeds and email and free videos from us and all kinds of other fun things. So have a look there. And of course, you can also come back next Wednesday when we'll be back on Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Squirrel.